This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally, Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Let's go business storytellers. Hey, how's everyone doing? We want to talk about how do we work with subject matter experts? And you've heard me talk about this plenty of times before. If I don't have good source material, which is really what that is, right? You interview an expert, you talk to them, you get the source material, you get new content. You're not just sitting here in your writer's room and are making up crap. Friendly reminder, crap stands for content really annoying to people. So we don't want to create that. Um, so today's expert that's going to talk with me about this topic is Sarah Parker. She's based in the United Kingdom, and I'm really glad to have on the show. I'm, I, I think I ran across her. She wrote an article for the Content Marketing Institute about how to interview subject matter experts. And as you know, I always love connecting with people that are sharing their thoughts out there and see get them on here and ask them some specific questions that I think you guys might be interested in. So let's get Sarah out of the green room onto the show here and let's play 20 questions. We don't have that much time, but you know what I mean. Let's get to it. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hello, Christoph. <laughs> Very Best impressive. Face bump this month for sure. Really appreciate you making the time. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a content uh, content executive, but like what's your background and and, and and how does working with subject matter experts fit into that? Okay, well, my background, I come from um, a publishing and editorial background. Um, and then I just sort of took a, a sidestep into bid writing and marketing. Um, so quite a mixed background. But I think coming from the bid area of, um, of a major global IT firm means that I fully understand the role of SMEs in terms of how to create a compelling customer-focused argument that drives people to buy. So there's a link there in terms of what you're doing with RFPs and how that context can translate into how you understand content marketing. Interesting. And of course, in my previous life, we called subject matter experts sources because I was a journalist, right? And really, I couldn't just make stuff up, uh, as I said earlier, crap. But but when you talk about um, subject matter experts, let's talk about the importance of why it's important to even talk to them and, and, and you know, how do you find them? Yeah, well, I think it's really interesting, isn't it? Because marketing, we always talk about cross-functional collaboration and sales comes into that a lot. And sales are important, but actually, if you're in a technology firm like I am, or if you're a B2B tech writer or a SaaS writer, then you're going to be bumping into people who design your products, people who understand the depth and technical expertise that your audience are looking for, and how your product has to play in the market in terms of the jobs that your customers are looking to complete and their pains, needs and motivations. So the best way to come head to head with that and to translate that into excellent content is to actually speak to a subject matter expert. 
But the problem is that a lot of subject matter experts don't want to speak to marketers. <laughs> and that's because they think, you know, and quite rightly so, um, that it's a serious subject. They're better being customer facing. They have projects to complete. So if you want to win their time and attention in the same way as you want to win your customers time and attention, then you have to be patient. You have to reach out to them and identify exactly what the goal of your content is, exactly what your expectations are from them. And you also need to listen to them. So you need to be very open to letting them lead and guide the direction of the conversation and not going into it with preconceived ideas of what you're going to write. So what's interesting to me is that people, and I've seen it too, subject matter experts don't want to speak to marketers. Is I'm totally mm-hmm. baffled by that because if you're talking to a good marketing team, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they're going to, first of all, they're going to help you build your brand. They help you amplify mm-hmm. your message, which when I hear people say, oh, I'm much better off talking to one person at a time, keep doing that. That's fine. But mm-hmm. talk to marketing too, because marketing can mm-hmm. really get your name out there, right? I mean, think about the show, right? I mean, it's not just us talking, even though it certainly feels like a fun conversation, but it's people tuning in on all these different channels. And mm-hmm. so I'm always baffled why subject matter experts don't see the value without having to be convinced. Why is that? And how do you convince them to to, to work mm-hmm. with you? Well, I think I think there's often seen to be a natural tension between, you know, serious subject matter and marketing. So this is just um, a reputation that marketing has that we've probably all suffered when we've gone to parties and told people what we do and they sort of raise their eyes and look in the other direction. Um, So I think the idea is to really sell the um, thought leadership and authority of what you're doing. So if you're speaking to a subject matter expert, you're speaking to them to create content which is deep and not technical, but driven into the business needs of a particular customer. So it's not about, you know, flashy images and clever design and um, catchy phrases. It's about thinking about exactly what your audience want to read at that point, particularly if we're talking about um, white papers or ebooks on on kind of deep niche topics. And then once you start to do that and you once you communicate that, but also actually deliver that, then your SMEs are going to be much more interested in talking to you. Well, you also have to figure out what are their goals, right? I mean, I, I worked with mm, a, a subject matter expert before in healthcare. And basically what they said is it was a, um, academic hospital, right? But academic hospitals mm-hmm. see regular patients too. It's not just mm-hmm. a teaching hospital, but they saw mm-hmm. that, that their perception was that everybody saw them as a teaching hospital only. So they really tried to change that mm-hmm. perception. And the way they did that mm-hmm. is through thought leadership. So if you can figure out what is their problem, what are they trying to achieve? Uh, mm-hmm. what, what are some of their pain points? Um, you talked about product specific content now the way i think about the you know let's take a bow tie funnel for example i mean you Mm -hmm. have uh content that's really it's not about the product at all right Mm -hmm. you're just talking Mm -hmm. about related topics that are interesting to people that would buy your product you talk about that you Mm -hmm. talk to an expert and then certainly the further you come down the funnel the more you uh you want to talk about the product but what's the right mix and when do you reach out to experts i mean i'm seeing like let's stick with software. I mean, if I'm talking to a product um, designer, right, certainly they're going to want to talk about the product. But if I'm talking to, let's say, an executive or, or somebody else who's other things, mm-hmm. there might be other topics that are that 
or not even mentioning the product, right? I mean, what's the mix mm -hmm. of content to use there? So I think you're absolutely right when you say it's about the particular goals of that particular piece of content. And I think this is where sometimes it's difficult to talk to subject matter experts who might be coming from a product perspective. And what you need to do is you can either try to take on a, a direct challenge and say, I don't want product, I want customer. Or what you can do is listen to them and see about how they're connecting the product information to the business goals of the customer. And then you can lead with the business goals of the customer. But I don't think that we should necessarily exclude um, product information from, from the funnel. Like you said, it's it's really important that if you're in SaaS, that, and also if you're in a service organization and you're a systems integrator, that people understand the differentiators and competitive position of the product that you're selling. And it's really interesting because I was just reading um, Gordon Graham um, wrote uh, White Papers for Dummies, and I was reading his book, and he makes quite a, an interesting point that you can have a product white paper as well as a background white paper or a problem solution white paper. Now, most of us have heard of the problem solution white paper, right? That's the one that drives right into business needs. It's technology agnostic. Um, writers are often very hesitant and quite rightly um, to mention any products because it's not about selling. It's about education and informing your readers. But there still exists this possibility of writing a product white paper. It's just that that's not going to generate leads. That's going to be where um, maybe your CIO or your buyer is sitting down and doing product comparisons with specifications to work out exactly the functionality that they need. And that may well be right at the bottom of the funnel after they've sort of come to terms with that kind of um, market argument. Interesting. So um, let's talk about when you work with experts, how do you, so there's the stuff they want to talk about, right? I mean, it's mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, if, if, if you reach out to me, there's certain things I would like to talk about. Like, mm -hmm. let's say I got a new book or, or whatever, mm -hmm. or the podcast is now on radio mm -hmm. or TV. And I want to talk about that. That's what I want to talk about. But you're mm -hmm. thinking, well, my audience actually, here's your stuff. My audience wants to hear about this over here. How do mm -hmm. you combine? How do you get people to talk about the things you think they you need to be writing or, or talking about and the stuff they want to talk about? How do you m maneuver that potential minefield? I think with a very clever question like the one you just asked, where you steered me right back to subject matter experts and audience focus. And I think that's what you have to do. I think um, you don't want to get into a situation where you're sort of dismissing what your subject matter expert has to say. You want to kind of come up with questions that evolve naturally from what they're saying. So you don't dismiss what they said. You take it and you push the thread back into where you want to be. Um, and so it's more of a conversation. So it has a natural tendency to shift to one thing from another. And then people don't feel dismissed. They don't feel like you have an agenda or you're trying to get particular information from them. They're much more likely to be relaxed. And to actually, what I find is that when you're not pushing for the information that you feel you need, that's when the most interesting information comes. Because actually, the great content comes from the meeting point between what someone has to say that might be hidden um, and you discovering that and translating that into your content. How do you um, how do you structure interviews nowadays? So I remember when I first did these, we would literally sit with a camera in somebody's office, right? And then we would write about it. Today, um, I mean, you're my subject matter expert today that I'm interviewing today. 
thank you for joining me to talk about that same topic. But I'm we're not doing anything off air, right? Like the whole thing is live. Mm-hmm. So all the content we're getting basically comes is already published immediately. Mm-hmm. That doesn't always work when I need to talk to an expert, right, in the company mm-hmm. for an extended amount of time because we only have a certain amount of time on this show. Mm-hmm. But how do you recommend? Like, do you just take notes? Do you record it? Uh, what's like the best way? Do you should you do it in person on Zoom by phone? Like, what's the best strategy to to have these conversations with these experts? Gosh, well, there's so many different ways to do it. I mean, some people write a list of 20 questions and they have to get through all 20 questions and they have 30 minutes to do it. And and that's one way of approaching it. But I think what I like to do is I like to record the conversation. Um, I like to take that style that we spoke about where maybe I've done a bit of research and I know you know quite a bit about the topic, but I'm not necessarily going to steer the topic. But if I feel I'm not getting the information I want, then I might say, well, can we think about you know the problems people are facing that are driving them to solutions like this or what are the challenges that they're trying to resolve or um you know for example in tech particularly post pandemic being on you know and then you can pretty much put in any technology and there's going to be an, an, an effect if we're talking about sort of composable erp headless architecture the impact of these things on you know particular markets and horizontals so i, I think it's about having the flexibility in the conversation I think it's about recording the conversation and transcribing. And then I think it's about looking at the transcript and thinking what really interesting threads that I didn't expect in here and how can I follow up those threads through my own research. Um, And I think with research, it's also about using really credible sources. So you want to be looking, for example, obviously I'm in tech, that's why everything's about tech. Um, Look at Gartner or McKinsey or um, CIO.com. You want to find stories and case studies and examples from, for example, if writing about retail, you know, retail magazines, um, current editions, so that you're mixing in that kind of qualitative and quantitative data um, in your content. So when you interview people um, back in my journalism days, and I still think I do this to an extent today, we were always taught um, research the topic, like be know the topic before you interview people. And I still think that's important. You have to speak the the language of whoever you're talking to at least a little bit, right? I mean, you can't be completely blind to what you're interviewing about. But but in the world of the web, I've also found that I want to ask, what is Sarah, what is your definition of a subject matter expert? What is your definition of Oh, that's rhetorical right now. Unless you have a really great answer, <laughs> we can cover that later. <laughs> like, what is your definition of X Y Z? Because I know if I can get you to give me something highly unique, mm-hmm. I can use that to rank in search, right? And I could never mm-hmm. just Google the answer and reword it and rank for that. So, um, I, some people can do it, but it's not. That's not the point of being authentic and, and doing good mm-hmm. business storytelling. So, where's that fine line between? researching the topic, knowing enough about the topic, and then letting the expert fill in the gaps and the expert tell the story. And you just know enough to be dangerous, so to speak. Well, just whilst it's on top of my mind, just from what you were saying, it's really interesting because I was actually speaking to a subject matter expert the other day, and he was talking to me about how um, a product that I won't name um, did a very specific particular thing that another product didn't do. And how could we translate that 
into the article. And actually, what I think about in terms of using the information that SMEs give you is that that gave us a really unique viewpoint that no one else had used in terms of, um, you know, how might the fact that that product is perceived in a way that it doesn't actually deliver um, challenge the marketplace. And we could be the first to, to kind of put that message in. And I think that's really also interesting in terms of this tension between, you know, product versus thought leadership. So actually, the product product truth sits inherently behind the thought leadership argument you're making. And the SME can make that connection really well. So where that line exists that you were talking about, where's that fine line? It's in knowing enough but not pushing the direction or defining the conclusions. So I would have had no idea about how that level of, um, you know, the, the way the put that particular product worked would have led to that market outcome for the user. But they made that connection. And, and I think that's what you have to listen for, really, the, the unique messages that you can sort of pull out and kind of thread them, not just through thought leadership, but all your content messages. Great. Uh, very interesting. And the one thing I always do too, and maybe this is from my journalism days, is that I actually, um, I don't leave until I think I have one or two stories, right? So when mm -hmm. I used to cover something as a journalist, I would always go, okay, I got this story and this story. And if that one falls mm -hmm. through, I got this one as a backup. So I mm -hmm. always do that even today when I talk to subject matter experts, like I'm as I'm listening, I'm like, oh, that's a really interesting story. This is kind of like, okay, I can build on that, or this can go into an existing article or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of interesting um, how you do that. Now, when you go and interview subject matter experts, I mean, some are better than others, right? Um, mm -hmm. Some are better on camera than others. Some are better on a podcast mm -hmm. than others. Some mm -hmm. are better explaining it to you in a way that actually makes sense to you. How do mm -hmm. you identify the SMEs that you actually want to work with that are actually going to be helpful? How do you, I mean, some of it, I guess you have to start working with them, right? It's like if when people start new jobs, they don't know everything about that company until they start, quite frankly, same mm -hmm. with the person starting. Uh, I assume it's similar with SMEs or how do you, how do you kind of get on the right track to get started? So I think I think the, the truth is sometimes you don't. <laughs> so it's quite interesting. And, and, and having written a lot of content, you know, there are some white papers you write or some con blogs you write where you basically have all the information. And it's just a question of translating that into the core messages that you want your audience to see. And then others are a real struggle where you've spoken to SME and you might have a little bit of information, but actually you know, you don't have the depth or the actionable points that you can drive into your content. Um, but I think when you're faced with a, a situation like that, what I like to do is what you were talking about, I like to research. And then the most important thing is if you're going to go off and go out of that sort of SME comfort zone is do the research and then feed it back to the SME. Because actually what I find is sometimes the fact that they haven't communicated particular points to you is that they don't really understand what you want for them. And when you actually show them tangibly, look, this was in Gartner and this is what they say, is that what we mean? Then that gives them something to proactively bounce off. So they can be actually, no, I don't agree with that. I think we should be doing that. Or they can be like, yes, but we need to add this point because that's where the market's going. And then you start to get a sort of conversation. So some people just find it easier to talk about something when they have something to bounce off. And I think that's a really important thing. Don't just give up because actually the likelihood is, and as a journalist, you, you'll probably know this, is that it's the communication. People have different ways of communicating. 
different ways of understanding how you communicate and you need to sort of find that bridge in order to create good content. Yeah, you're just going to have to dive in, but it is about certainly building that relationship and, and having them understand uh, what you're trying to do and how it works. And and what tips do you have along those lines when it comes to um, picking the right words? And I remember back in the day, you know, in healthcare especially, um, the doctors had some big word, right, for whatever. And I would say, well, we want to use this word because people don't search for that word. And people don't use that word. You use it when you're talking mm-hmm. to them, but they use this. And when you explain that, a lot of times, you know, most experts that I've worked with over the years, they're fine. They understand it. They know you have to simplify it mm-hmm. down way more than they how they would write it. Uh, but how do you how do you get there? What what tips do you have uh, to get experts to understand why we may have to use? different terminology, the consumer terminology, not their terminology necessarily uh, when it comes to uh, this content. Yeah, well, I think I think most most experts are absolutely fine with that. I mean, I was actually talking to an SME who was really on top of things, and he was saying that his clients don't like it when he goes in and talks about their legacy architecture because they sort of take it a little bit personally because they're probably the people who bought the legacy architecture in the first place that is now no longer functioning. So you need to think about the nuances of the terms you're using. So if you're going to use a term like, you know, um, continuous development in a DevOps context, um, then you need to be sure your audience know that. And if they don't know that, you can just define it. For example, if you're writing about composable ERP, which I was recently, you can say Gartner defines composable ERP as, and then that really helps business users, but it also gives a bridge to your CIOs and your executives who are increasingly on boards and making these decisions with CEOs. Um, and kind of an avenue to explain what that means. So I think it's not about making decisions actually that's too complex it's about thinking is that too complex for my audience is that too simple for my audience and Matthew Rayback I think in the article you mentioned at the top of the um, podcast he made that really clever point that actually it's about you know what does your audience want what language does your audience want and if you translate it into all really simple terms and actually you're writing for those neurosurgeons then they're going to think you're a little bit nutty because you haven't actually given them the level of complexity that they need and desire so it's just about sort of balancing that and putting the thought into the road that you want to take it is true. Sometimes it's oversimplifying when you say we should oversimplify it or simplify it down because some audiences, they don't need it simplified, right, to, to the, the same level as another audience. I think when it comes to web content, though, especially the written word, people are skimming, right? I mean, so you do have to get it to a certain level of simplicity just because people aren't actually um, reading, right? They're just skimming the headline. They're, they're going in and out of paragraphs and Unfortunately, that's kind of how it is. Sarah, in the last mm. couple of minutes, you tell us um, how, how do people connect with you? Who should reach out to you? And yeah, uh, you know, who, who do you like to connect with? Well, I'm, I'm happy to connect with, with anyone who's interested in B2B tech content. Um, so I write B2B tech content um, for services companies, systems integrators and SaaS. Um, and I, I also love talking about strategy, but my main area is about thinking about how content connects into strategy and helps people to achieve their revenue or lead target goals. Um, so that's what I like to think about. And in terms of getting con- getting in touch with me, uh, Twitter, I'm on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, 
Um, and I have a website, um, www.sarahlparker.com, so you can find me there. And just, just drop me a note. And it doesn't have to be about will you work with me. It could be about what do you think about this? And we'll have a, a little mini debate um, via DM. So happy to chat anytime. Mini debates are always great. So basically people can hire <laughs> you to, to help them um, get those subject matter experts to open up and, and, and write mm -hmm. better content for their company, yeah. right? Yeah, it's absolutely key to base your content marketing on interviews. I mean, what you're talking about, go straight to the source. Why not? I mean, they, they know your messaging, they know your value props, and they should be able to deliver that to your content writers in a way that translates into differentiated content for your business. I know you have a little bit, obviously, since people can hire you for this, I know, I know you have a little bit of a stake in this question, but um, what is the advantage to hire an outside writer versus having an on-staff writer or writers for the strategy? So I think it depends. So a lot of content teams are under huge pressure. Um, a lot of smaller businesses don't necessarily have a content writer. They may have a content manager or a sort of content team that doesn't necessarily have that writing specialism. Um, I think also um, there's huge pressure on internal teams to meet internal targets and goals. And if you bring that sort of outside voice in for like a major lead magnet, which is where I'd recommend it, um, that's where you get the highest return on investment. Um, then you're actually allowing your team to continue with business as usual, but also gaining the valuable information that your audience needs to make buying decisions. I think what's interesting about uh, in, inside or outside writers is, first of all, you need to find somebody who is good if you hire somebody from the outside. But sometimes you see these job roles in companies where it's like a strategic but also hands-in-the-dirt kind of person. And here's mm -hmm. the reality of things. You know, when you're creating content, it takes a lot of time um, and you can't be in meetings all day. You can't be doing, you know, mm -hmm. some of those things all day. Um, so if you're doing that all day, maybe it actually mm -hmm. is better to find a good writer. So SarahLParker.com, check her out. Sarah, really appreciate you sharing your insights today. Cool. Thanks very much, Christoph. Been nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win.